Welcome to another episode of We Have Such Films to Show You. This is episode 48. We're discussing uh, the Iranian film A Girl Walks Home at Night, 2014. Uh, it's, 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 hi, I'm Yaakov, and I'm about to contradict <laughs> literally the first thing my co-host has just said. Um, it's not technically an Iranian film. It's in Persian. It takes place in Iran. Um, but it was produced and shot in America uh, by a director who is Iranian American. So it's so as far as I can tell, this is like an American film. It just happens to be in Persian and take place in Persia. Wait, is okay, that, that's that place. That's a place. I, I don't I don't know exactly what the contemporary geopolitics of calling something Persia are. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that's gone away. But at the same time. I, my impression is that Persia is sort of a weird mix of a useful contemporary l- label and also a badly dated uh, label, depending on how you're using it and what you're aiming at. I don't know. Um, as, it's as an ethnic group, or the, the the Persians are an Iranian people who speak the modern Persian language uh, and closely related Iranian dialects. So that doesn't help yeah. really basically what we're trying to say here is we're coming at this with a deep deep understanding of the specific cultural issues informing this film uh but i <laughs> but uh but i really liked this film oh is, yeah is yeah what i actually want to say i loved it this was this, this is, was great this is possibly so it's it's really only barely a horror movie although it is you know, inextricably a horror movie. Like the impetus behind all of like the action that happens in this movie, well, most of it is you know a vampire who acts like a vampire. Um, and but the um, what do you call it? Like it's it's parts of it are romantic slash romantic comedy. Parts of it are just you know like sad, um, like look at drug use and poverty. Uh, parts of it are just like a hipster kind of movie, like a almost like a Harmony Korean or or, or a movie in in like in the the overly or not maybe not not overly but in the like very intensely artsy sort of feel of it, and also because like there is a lot of young people like doing drugs and going to parties, or at least once, and like yeah. everybody's real cool, like everybody in this movie is super cool except for maybe like one person. <laughs> And there's the, I, there's there's something visually visually noirish about it, uh, and, yeah. and textually there's there's stuff that you could argue sort of falls within sort of uh, noir tropes to some extent, but it's certainly not a noir film or anything. No, um, the, the the black and white uh, uh, certainly has a huge effect on sort of driving yeah. in that general direction. Just mm-hmm. just the sheer look of it, and it's um, I mean the 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 black and white is just like it, it, this isn't you know a black and white movie in that it's just a movie that they incidentally shot in black and white. They do a lot of um, just practical camera work with different... Like, I, I don't know a lot of the language for this, so hopefully you do, but like a lot of the just different kind of lenses and different kind of lens effects figure a lot into this movie. Just the way that you're looking at the scene that you're looking at it is important, and like the incredibly high contrast black and white is a big part of that. Yeah, it's very it's very thoughtfully shot. It's very thoughtfully lit. They really use the black and white, uh, really really super effectively. And, and yeah, contrast is a 
a huge part of the feel of the film in a way that because uh, I mean you could like you say like you could just incidentally shoot something on black and white or to, for that matter you could incidentally shoot it on color and then decide to post process to black and white and you can get a black and white movie but you know some films use it well and some don't and that's I guess that's part of what I'm touching on with sort of the fact that I thought about noir with this uh, beyond it just being black and white is it's it is that contrast. It's that there's really heavy use of shadow, really heavy use of conspicuous lighting to to frame scenes and to to sort of lead the eye, uh, confuse the viewer occasionally. You know, there's really effective use of just lapsing into into shadow at times to the point where you actually basically lose track a little bit probably of what exactly is happening on the, on the screen, and so you have to sort of lean in a little bit and sort of you know search out what's happening with the movement in shadow. Uh, it's really great. It's, it's just really visually compelling. The the, the camera work, like I, I'm trying to figure out a way to say this, the the movie that you're watching that is shot through the cameras, you are watching a subjective take on this. This isn't just like somebody put a camera here and like recorded the action and moved around a little bit. It's just, you know, things change in front of the camera based on what the camera is doing, and it feels like you are the one who is, like, bleary-eyed, or you're the one who is, like, switching focuses on what they're looking at, or is, you know, like, in this intense... There's a lot of, like, intense, deep focus shots in this, I think. Um, yeah, just yeah. everything, where everything on the scene is, is in, like, an equal amount of focus, um, all of it's sharp, and it's it, it, it works. Um, I think the entire, uh, like, the power plant scene, was the power plant in focus during that? Because it... it, it if it wasn't, it was only very barely. Like, I think focus. I think it was. Yeah, I, I I was struck several times in the film by how sharp the focus uh, was sometimes on the background framing of stuff, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think the the high contrast black and white sort of sold this again because like when you pull out color, uh, you lose some of the texture that color brings, and so you're left with a slightly different feel for stuff. And yeah, so I think a real a real sharp focus can stand out that much more uh, when you're shooting. Uh, this sort of high contrast black and white, and there's in in a lot of scenes in this movie, there's very like relatively little motion, um, and just so much of this movie, I think, if you like extracted the frame, blew it up, and framed it, would make like an amazing like art photograph. Yeah, yeah. Just because of like there are so many scenes where just like very slight or subtle motion or motion that doesn't really matter, um, and it's just it's just the composition of the image, and it, and it's just beautiful. There's just beautiful shots in this. Yeah, the film the film really takes its time a lot with its shots, which is nice. Um, considering considering how carefully a lot of them seem set up, that makes sense too. But it really uses that above and beyond just not doing a quick cut. There are definitely some scenes that just really, really use the refusal to move and the static framing and the slow motion. Like I, th- I think the probably the shot that has stuck with me most since I watched this a few days ago uh, was uh, when. Uh, Amash, the the main dude, has gone back uh, to the girl's uh, apartment, and they're listening to music. And, and he's he's dressed up as a, a, a chintzy Dracula, uh, and is on uh, ecstasy, which he doesn't normally do. And so he's sort of like having a weird night. And then he's with her, and we don't know enough about her, but we know enough to know that she is capable of, you know, significant violence and yet is also just sort of having this, you know, sort of we, social encounter yeah. with this guy. Yeah, and we I don't mean, really I, know what she's going for with this whole thing. 
I think it's important to note that you are never afraid for her in this movie. There, There is no point, I think, in this movie in which, like, when she is on screen, she is not, like, the most powerful, capable person in this movie and, like, capable of, like, incredibly intense things. And yeah. I, I, that, that contributes a lot to sort of, like, the safe feeling of this movie, I guess, um, well, and when she's around. It, and it, it's interesting. I mean, th- that's, that's one thing that, like, I kind of, to, to some extent, I hate that I am... Um, Saying, "Hey, I like the fact that a thing about this movie doesn't like lean heavily on sexual violence." So let's talk yes. about sexual violence. But you know, it's hard to get away from. I mean, the title of the film is, you know, a, a very intentional nod to the idea of the associated, you know, unsafe, don't walk alone at night sort of thing. Uh, and then the central character, what's very you know early in the film is established, uh, is not you know subject to that like it's going and yes a girl walks home alone at night because why wouldn't she because who's going to you know get in in this girl's way but uh but but yeah it's it's uh i think what i i really i mean they they set this up in an amazing way too just because the movie so the movie starts off with do with a man saving a cat which is just do you know about the the book save the cat no it's a very um, I, I I don't know respected influential it's it's an important book in screenwriting and it's called Save the Cat and the reason it's called Save the Cat is because one of like the big like rules in it that you want to like think about and pay attention to is if you want to establish somebody as a sympathetic character a protagonist having them do something like literally save a cat will make the audience go, oh, you know, this guy can't be all bad. He, like, you know, saved a, a animal that was in peril and that he had no reason to. And I thought it was amazing that this movie opens with a shot of him saving a cat, or at least rescuing it, or getting it out of some sort of weird situation that it was in. I guess this, would be, his in, cat. this would be in contrast to kicking the dog, I guess. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, I, That's... I want to talk about this cat, actually, because I, I was never sure... What the deal was with this cat? Because the he he's so like you say, it opens with him and this cat. But it, really, it opens with him, um, James Deaning next to a yeah, extreme, James like, yeah, 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 a, uh, yeah. There's an inescapable reference to James Dean and this guy's character throughout much of the movie. Like he's, he's very got much a, got that sort of like you know, he's got a pompadour. He's got like a pair of small sideburns. He's wearing like tight, but not like hipster tight blue jeans. Like a very old like fifties cut of blue jeans. And you know, like a tight, um, yeah, white T-shirt, t-shirt plain yeah. white tee, smoking, yeah. brooding. He's got sunglasses um, on sometimes, yeah. and he's got like a killer classic car. He was, I mean, yeah, this movie. Well, just he's got the right with, face too. Like he, yeah. he like, like, like he's handsome. Uh, he's got uh, sort of broody face, but he also doesn't have like a big, like hyper masculine uh, macho guy face or anything. It's much more of uh, sort of approachable, slightly boyish. Uh, and I, don't, I don't know if... I mean, we mentioned that this film is entirely in Persian. I don't know if it's worth mentioning, but, like, all of the actors are of uh, Iranian descent. Uh, you know, they might... You know, uh, some of them are... Like, Marshall Manesh is a pretty... He's, he's a pretty established actor in America, but I don't... Some of them aren't, and uh, the girl, or the woman who plays... I mean, the, I think the character is just named The Girl. Yeah. Uh, she is... She was, uh, like, an actress and a performance artist. Um, but, yeah, so that's just... You know, it's... They... they they do these like very sort of American things with it, but nobody in this movie is, you know, uh, I mean, no, some some people are definitely American, but nobody in this movie is like a white American person. Yeah, 
There's no light for it. Oh, the cat's played by uh, Masuka. Uh, or, or yes, yes, Masuka the cat plays yeah. the cat, but is credited as merely Masuka, not Masuka the cat. So, um, yeah. So, so, so this cat. So, so our our James Dean fellow uh, Arash, uh, he is smoking and killing time. Clearly, outside of some like fence on the corner of a block, something like that, or or possibly lousy slatting of some sort of house structure. Um, and then he's sort of like looking around and furtively, you know, then puts out his uh, cigarette, sneaks through this slot in this wood. You know, we can't see him anymore. And then he comes back a few seconds later with a cat. And and he seems very much to be sneaking about doing this is the thing. Yeah. Like, it was not clear to me. It was clear to me that he was not comfortable just being, oh, I should go walk over and pick up that cat. Uh, so if it actually was his cat prior to that moment, I didn't really get that read on it. I got it more like he saw a cat and decided for whatever reason, you know, possibly ethically. Uh, but in any case, he basically decided, I'm going to acquire this cat now, was the take I had on that scene. I, I mean, I was thinking that this was his cat, and the cat ran away, and he knew where the cat was going to run away to, and he saw the cat there, and then he was just waiting to get, like, the cat to be somewhere that he could, like, easily scoop it up. See, uh, I don't but, know. I, I mean, mean it, there's, it, it there's nothing supporting that except that's what I think. Yeah, it, it, it just it seems it seems to me it would have been framed differently if that were the case. There would have been some if sort of establishing. Well, I mean, we don't even know that it's a cat until he comes back through the fence with a carrying cat. it. So you know, all this yeah. sort of furtive activity ahead of time doesn't communicate to us anything about what he's about to right. do, other than he's yeah. keeping a lookout. Like that's really the sense yeah. I got. It's like he's totally he's casing the situation. And then he's making his move when he's pretty sure he can get away with it. Which, right. if you're just going to pick up your cat, like you, you don't tell the story that way. If you're trying to communicate, oh, I, I need to make sure that my cat doesn't run away before I grab it. You know, you'd set it up very differently. Um, so that's maybe the thing. He stole a cat. Yeah. Like that's. I, I feel like maybe it's just a random neighborhood cat, and he's like, you know what? I want a cat. Which you know, I mean, this is a guy who works. He lives alone. He seems to not really well, he have lives with his father, doesn't he? Well, yeah. Well, okay. So this is yes. I, I'm 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 talking subtext accidentally instead oh. of text. He he lives with his father, but his father is a strung out junkie who is clearly not you know a meaningful okay. social uh, compatriot in his day to day life. He seems to basically work to try and raise money to. One, buy his sweet car, and two, pay for his dad's drug habit and their living costs. He doesn't get presented as having anything particularly resembling a vibrant social life. Like, he clearly ever interacts with other people, but we don't really see that. So the idea that maybe he has just decided, fuck it, I'm getting a cat, uh, could be him just sort of trying to add some little bit of interaction to his daily home life and and so this was just we caught him in the moment where he decided to do that and he's also at a later point too uh he steals other stuff or like at least one other thing and it's also um you know it's it's less ambiguous why he's stealing the thing then but he definitely does it and um you know he does it smartly yeah so i think you know there's like there's at least a slight uh, pattern of behavior there. Well, yeah, and it's interesting because that scene really presents that as something he really weighs heavily and struggles with and decides to do. Right. Um, but clearly seems to feel misgivings about when he's doing it versus the cat thing. So I, I, I both think that he grabbed a random cat and also think it was something that he was not doing in what felt like uh, you know, a malicious or unethical way. I think he may have been like, oh, it's a straight cat. I can feed it. I can take care of it. And I can have a cat, you know, something like that. Um, 
So it, it is interesting to contrast those two because I'm I'm definitely interpreting it as two sides of the same coin as him just deciding to take something. But yeah, they don't. Right. He does present very differently at those different moments. Um, well, it's also interesting too because the pacing. Like one of the things I was I was relieved in a sense that I was sort of like I wanted something to be okay for this character that you know this didn't uh, take the path of him choosing to do the immoral thing leading to his inevitable downfall even if he tried to make things better because yeah. the, the moment the thing we're talking about him stealing also we, we should just say right here I mean I know we always spoil the hell out of everything we watch but this is definitely one of those just go watch this movie yeah, just pause absolutely. the podcast and go watch the movie it's really good you won't be horribly spoiled or anything if you hear us talk about plot points beforehand because it's not really it's not some movie with a shimali and twist or anything but it's, it's, it's a movie that you deserve to watch what the artist did before you listen to us ramble on for exactly. several hours about what the artist did and yeah. just sort of take it apart for better or worse and yeah just watch the movie it's a fantastic movie I, i'm sure Probably our glittering erudition would be good too but favorite yeah. uh, thing we've watched on this like my second favorite contemporary movie that we watched on this after uh, uh after uh it follows. Fo- it follows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. which which I mean, yeah, and and some things about this remind me of that uh, too. Oh yeah, um, yeah. There is. Will... I mean, there's there's overlap, but it's not in like a very obvious like way that you could put these two movies next to each other and be like, yes, absolutely. It's, yeah, no, it's, it's more that there, yeah. there's there's some there's some similar bits of what feels like smart contemporary uh, horror esque filmmaking uh, that show up in here, and and just smart contemporary filmmaking in general. Um, but uh, so I wanted to say, you know, we see, we see, he he ends up stealing those uh, diamond earrings mm-hmm. uh, from the rich girl whose family he works for. Uh, he does landscaping, and and so he ends up stealing the, these earrings uh, because he wants to trade them for his car with the drug dealer uh, Saeed. Or uh, you, the, the drug you, dealer pimp, etc. Did you catch what Saeed, like, what that character is based on? Uh, you know what he reminded me of was a cross between Vanilla Ice and the guy from uh, um, that... Uh, Dion Ford? Yes. He is 100% the guy from Dion Ford. Excellent, I, uh, excellent. I, I know, like, if Ninja that uh, spoke uh, Persian, he would be in this movie because that <laughs> character is it, 100% yeah. him. It, it really, uh, it really had that feel, um, and I was surprised. I was just like, "Wait, it's not." I mean, like, is this a coincidence? And you know, like, they're getting closer to the characters, and you see like his like the poke and stick tattoos. You see the haircut, the facial hair. I'm like, no, this is this is like not in any way incidental or like you know, sort of a a hazy reference. It is they they put that character in this movie just played by somebody else. Yeah. I, um, I just haven't paid enough attention to DeAntward to know how close it was, even though that vibed pretty strongly to me. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah. So so he steals he steals the earrings mm-hmm. to go. Basically, he's going to swap them for his car as compensation for the money his dad owes uh, Saeed. Uh, 
And that seemed like the moment where it could have been, okay, this happens, and then sh- the girl he stole it from is going to put two and two together, and then the third act, he's going to end up getting arrested, and or something like that. And instead, it's just like it, it, the movie just glances it off, which seems yeah. you know totally appropriate even. Like, this girl is established very briefly. You know, we, we don't get much of her. She's just presented as, you know, wealthy and disaffected and, you know, uh, superficial, essentially. And then at some point, you know, we see her later briefly, and she doesn't notice that the earrings are gone and she doesn't care, you know, because whatever. Yeah. Um, and during that scene while he's doing that, it also sort of like, it establishes like a, a different, like it establishes that, that, you know, he does that, but there's also like the whole thing that he, the reason he's in her room and this he's in like, you know, this, you know, this, she, I mean, they're the same age, probably like late teens, early twenties, I guess. Yeah. Youths. Um, yeah. Youths. And, and he's, he's in there to fix the cable. <laughs> uh, which is just, you know, he's don't be fatuous, Jeffrey. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's in there to fix the cable, and he's just like, "Look, this is going to take me a long time to fix." She's like, "So?" She's like, "He's like, well, your parents would probably mind if you were, you know, we were in the same room together." And she's almost shocked by like him asking her to leave her room, and then she sort of uh, uncomfortably flirts with him, as in she flirts with him, and he's uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and then and then she walks out, and then he just goes back to, and then he steals that 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 stuff, and I, you know that that's another like sort of like uh, thing establishing his character as like somebody who is not shitty or not just like after sex as his like primary motivator, yeah, or at least at that moment, yeah. And then the movie sort of keeps that up, like him and uh, the girl never kiss. Yeah, in this movie. They never kiss. They they have like like as far as moments of intimate contact between the two of them, none of it is. Um, it's all weird. None of it is any kind of like standard like you know you know like holding hands you know hugging or or a kiss or holding each other. It's all like the 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 few scenes that they have where they're physically close to each other are all kind of weird and kind of off. Yeah. Um. There's I mean, this, I think there's only there's just the three of them. There's like there's the moment when they meet for the second time, and he's on ecstasy, and he just like embraces her because he feels her and she's cold, and he just like wraps himself around her and hugs her. Yeah. Um, then there's the scene when they're sort of dancing at her house, and she just puts her her head against his chest and listens to his heartbeat. And um, there's the scene where he pierces her ears. Yep. With uh, with a safety pin and a lighter. Um, and those are like the moments of, of intimate contact between these two people. And yeah, it's, it's weird how the movie conveys the fact that at the very least he has like, he has fallen in love with her without using any of the language or, or, or any, uh, using any of like the, the verbal language and not a lot of the visual language. Yeah. And it's all in just the way the two characters sort of interact with each other as opposed to the way they interact with people around them. Yeah. Just no, like absolutely. Their, yeah, their specific, like, mode of conversation or standing there in silence, which is something they do a lot, Yeah, uh, is is just very distinct from the way that they, they speak and act with everybody else in the movie. Yeah, no, it, it sets it up very well. It communicates the idea that there is some uh, sort of connection and sense of tension and nervousness between these two without, like, yeah, playing immediately to either any real, you know, 
obvious romantic tropes or to any sort of like comedy romantic tropes. You know, it doesn't do either of those really. They just they're around each other and they're aware that they're around each other, and you get a real strong sense of their sort of personal and mutual awareness of each other. And um, like for my ignorance of basically anything revolving, you know, that kind of culture, like take the like the like from going by like the fact that the director is also American. Um, just the the interaction like between the two, it's not like romantic like that Onion article. It's like you know uh, using a romantic comedy stuff in real life gets man arrested thing. It, it's sort of the opposite. Like there's something very realistic about how tense they are around each other and how sort of hands off they are because they're kind of scared of one another and and just like unsure of their feelings and it's considering like the movie that it is like that's a very sort of realism-esque real I, w- I want to say realistic but I'm trying to specifically say that it's like it's a dose of realism in this movie which is otherwise uh, often pretty highly stylized yeah I wanted to I, I wanted to go back and the, the scenes you just mentioned of the the intimacy between the two the middle one with her her head on his chest I that was what I was gonna say was the the scene that really sticks out most in my mind just for being really effective for what it was um, and I think it plays to some of these these things like the fact that there there is not a kiss in that scene is uh, in a way surprising because it seems like the perfect setup for one but it's such a it's a slow you know I don't remember if the shots like literally static or if it's just very minimal in its movements they are but turning like it takes yeah. her to well, like, well I mean, I mean, the, I, mean the, the, I mean the camera I, I think the camera was static, but I don't remember for sure. Oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. All. I mean, it, it, it pans a little bit, and then it's, it might as well be static. But yeah, she's she's standing uh, more or less at the center of the screen in a medium shot, uh, looking at her record player. She's put on a song. He wanders over in his Dracula costume uh, and his ecstasy haze and stands behind her, and she just, yeah, incredibly slowly turns around. And this could could easily be a turning around and gazing into each other's eyes and a kiss, uh, you know, scene uh, in any number of movies. Uh, but for one thing, it's so slow. Like, it really, you know, this, this scene plays out over the course of most of a song that's probably, you know, two or three minutes long, it feels like. Um, and yeah, she just does this incredibly slow turn uh, towards him, just like in tiny bits and pieces... And then at that point, it's like, okay, well, now she's turned, and now they're looking at each other, and what could happen now? And you're thinking, oh, maybe they're maybe they're going to kiss. Uh, and, and then the that, movie fakes you out a second time because then she picks he she tilts his head back to expose his neck, and yeah. she is a vampire. And now you're just like, oh, that's you know, it was a fake out. It was going to be a kiss, but she's going to bite him. But then she doesn't do that either. She just sort of lowers like the side of her head onto his chest, like sort of in like a being comforted way, but also like the music, the volume of the music goes down and the bass starts coming up. And eventually, I don't know like the kind of sound system you're using on this is, but like there is like heavy, heavy bass heartbeat that uh, you know my bass is set very, very low on the subwoofer. And the bass overtook like all of the audios, so I yeah. assume that was you know very very like thick bass representing his heartbeat, and then it just cuts. Yeah, that's a nice. I, I didn't catch that. I I, I will say uh, I am I am frustrated. Excuse me, I'm frustrated with the TV we have here. We've got this furnished apartment uh, in Huntsville that we're in for the summer uh, because of my wife's internship, and uh, it came among other things furnished with like a I don't know twenty two twenty four inch. Uh, Eh, maybe a little bit bigger than that, even uh, flat screen TV. But it's just not a very good TV. 
Like, you know, right. it's like, like this film may have looked even darker on my TV than it actually is because to not have things washed out, I've got it tuned to sort of darken up a bit in the lower range. Uh, but it also, like, you know, it's just got shitty little TV speakers. And, you know, right. so I, I, I'm not watching things seven feet wide like you mean you don't travel like you with do. your own 5.1 surround system? <laughs> yeah, I know. Go figure. Josh, well, but, you know, on. I mean, but at home, we've got, we've, got a, we've got a ceiling-mounted projector. You know, it throws a nice, like, seven-foot diagonal on a, a, a nice projector screen. And, yeah, we do have a 5.1 system. And, and you know, it's, it's a, it's, I've become aware how much I enjoy owning that being away from it and watching stuff here like we've actually put off uh watching most of uh true detective and watching this current season of hannibal until we get home because they're just both that unsatisfying when we already know how much you know they can I, look and sound good hopefully you're gonna home. rewatch this movie as well when you get your yeah no I, I would like because yeah this deserves to be watched like on i regret not seeing it in the theater and i hope it comes back maybe yeah it'd be great uh, to see a screening of this somewhere yeah, yeah, this this deserves to be watched in, like, the highest definition, visual, and sound you can get it. Yeah. And, yeah, so so I, I didn't I didn't catch the, the, the heartbeat thing with the soundtrack um, uh, there, but that, 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 that adds some more to the communication in that scene, for sure. Um, but, yeah, just visually, that's really stuck with me. It's just, it, it was so effective. It was so, so deliberately and, like, aggressively slowly p- paced. Uh, and without any sort of cathartic payoff, which is perfect, because I mean that's if you want to if you want to sell the weird tension of a halting new uh, you know romance, you know you can throw in all kinds of sort of like slapstick. Uh, uh, and there's there's I, I I think there's sort of so the way that the scene starts is you know he's at a party, uh, the rich girl that he stole from he sells her some ecstasy, and then she gives him some ecstasy of his own that he doesn't want and he's just like alright I'll take it um, and I think I think it's an allusion to uh, the Baz Luhrmann Romeo and Juliet movie uh, because of it was like a white ecstasy pill with a heart on it <laughs> which is what happens in that movie as well um, and uh, you know he eventually like finds himself wandering around and there's this this shot maybe you can explain it It's 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 a it's a wide shot of a street, and there's street lights, and he's just sort of wandering, like, not stumbling, but definitely, like, not in his, like... He's not 100%. He's definitely compromised. Um, yeah, and he's just walking down this incredibly... It's night, but the street is incredibly brightly lit because of street lights and all the house lights. are You know, everything's lit up. And the further to the side you go of the shot, like, on the left-hand side of the shot... The the street light itself, like the light on it, is very bright, but it's stretched out into almost like a rectangle or like a spike. And then the street lights, they, they come closer to the camera as they come in. Not like it's not like a dead on perspective shot. It's to the side, but it just does it does get closer. And they get more and more circular the closer you get. So I it was so, I mean that's kind of a, some sort of a lens thing, right? Yeah, I I remember being struck by that shot. Uh, but uh, as I, I think I said this before we started rolling, it's like I didn't actually take notes on this one. I was just like, I feel like just I, I think I'm going to really enjoy this movie. I'm just going to sit and watch it, and you know I'll talk about what I talk about. Because uh, certainly I'm going to remember plenty of things from it. So I, I, I did, unfortunately, did not take notes on what was going on there. But yeah, it, it it sounds like it could just have been an issue with as you move out to the periphery of a lens, you won't necessarily get uh, really consistent uh, focus across the lens. I mean, the ideal sort of perfect lens will give you the exact same amount of crisp focus 
everywhere on the picture, but in practice, you sort of have to compromise, like, you know, usually a really good performance in the center of the lens versus losing a little bit of definition or, or sharpness as you move out to the edges. So you move out to the frame of uh, film, that's, you know, light that's coming in more through the uh, edges of the, the the camera. But another thing going on with this film that's noticeable in some of the focus poles, and this may be contributing to the same thing, I really should like look at that scene so I can make sure I'm actually <laughs> talking about what's happening, but one of the things that uh, I like in this film, and I've talked about this before in a couple other films, uh, is it looks to me like this was shot uh, on an anamorphic lens, which is uh, essentially... Uh, an oval shape rather than a circle and then it exposes film and so you end up getting a much wider exposed picture uh, a much wider exposed frame than you actually shot on the camera so you you take sort of a squashed camera on the actual uh, piece of film or you know digital sensor uh, and then you stretch that out horizontally to get the unsquashed looking full widescreen frame but as a result things like uh, the bokeh the, 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 the flare uh, type effects that you get from a lens from lights in it um, that ends up stretching with it and so what you what you were seeing with the uh, the, the the stretched street lights may partly have been just an effect of that because of the the anamorphic lens the street lights off to the side of the frame may have been less in focus and so you got sort of a bleary stretched out uh, bokeh or flare effect off of them yeah I mean that's that's definitely what it looked like. Um, I, I thought I thought some of the some of the focus work in the the film was really effective too, and we talked about this to some extent. With this is another thing that reminded me a little bit of it follows with like the really deliberate use of focus to show what you're allowed to look at in detail in the frame versus what you might want to. Because I remember in it follows they very effectively a couple times kept what might have been a creeping approaching monster in the distance out of focus, like your eye as the viewer, you're analyzing the scene, you've got your you know character in the foreground who you're concerned about, you've got potential monster approaching in the background, and you're looking at that monster, you're just like, oh shit, is that is that the thing? But the camera is saying, no, fuck you, you don't get to find out. I'm going to keep the focus on the, the near plane and the far plane staying blurry. And, you know, it's a very effective way of sort of fucking with the viewer. Um, and this film doesn't, I don't think, as aggressively fuck with the viewer in that way, but it plays with it. There's definitely... Um, scenes where it it sometimes chooses to sort of follow the viewer's likely line of focus by focusing on the character they're looking at now, and there's times when it doesn't. And one of them is there's the there's the 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 time when the girl is following Arash's dad, and she's on the far side of the street, and she's sort of pacing him and then mimicking him, and they do the whole like you know looking in a mirror sort of shtick uh, to some extent. Uh, except instead of being like you know a goofball you know Abbott and Costello monster comedy or something like yeah. that, it's much more like he's strung out and she's <laughs> fucking with him. Um, but 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 there's definitely uh, a couple shots where like he's in the foreground and she's in the background, and we get a good focus on him, and then the focus pushes over to her, and it goes back and forth sometimes. And a couple times it doesn't move even when it could have to sort of follow who's volley it is in the exchange of attention in, in, in this interaction that they're having that I thought was effective. Um, but you can also see the anamorphic thing again there in the focus way. Sometimes when it does that big, deep focus change from like far to near, you know, you see stuff get blurry in the part of the frame that's going out of focus, but it also seems to sort of stretch horizontally. Like it, it, there, there's a feeling 
that I notice at least when I'm I'm looking at these where the blur sort of blooms in a uh, sort of uneven way, like it, it blooms to the side more than it blooms up or down. Um, that's also a result of that anamorphic uh, approach with the ovular lens that doesn't uh, bring things in the same way a circular lens would. Um, I should try and get some screenshots of a couple of these things because they're really yeah. neat effects when you see them, but they're also relatively subtle things. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Focus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Focus oh, so is good. As I th- hang on. I think I, I was... What was I... Oh, yeah. So when she picks him up like at the streetlight, so he's looking at the streetlight and then... The camera, like, they start doing something with the lens uh, to, like, represent his, like, ecstasy vision, basically. And, like, the, the, the circular shit's a circular light fixture on a pole. And, like, it, the shape of it distorts. And, and I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and, you know, in the meanwhile, she's, like, coming down the street on her skateboard. And they have this, like, really... Uh, the only time the, the location of the movie is mentioned is here, when he's just like, I'm lost, where am I? And she's like, this is Bad City. He's just like, oh, I live in Bad City. This doesn't look like Bad City. And it's... it's I, I think I, that there was some meaning in that, because you you don't know what he means when he says that. You don't know if he's in a part of the neighborhood he's never been in, because this the part that he's in looks nice. It looks like a, yeah, a, it's a nice, like, residential nice suburban area. residential area, while the rest of Bad City is like an industrial wasteland. Um, and, you know, and there's like, there's like, so there's the industrialish wasteland where he lives, Arash and his father, and um, there's the sort of nicer, like, urban city, you know, like, it reminded me of Brooklyn a little bit, um, area where, uh, the girl and, um, what, uh, Saeed, Saeed live, because, yeah, yeah they, they look like they live in the same neighborhood, and then there was this, you know, uh, really posh-looking area that he was in when he, when he encounters her, um, and these are all supposed to be in Bad City, which, and so it's just, there's so much contrast, like, in the setting itself, um, that, that I liked, I mean, I think maybe... I don't know if there's places that look like some of these places in Iran and that, you know, but I, I think they really did take advantage of shooting in, in Southern California for whatever it is because there's just so many different kinds of locales in this movie and yet it all takes place in the same city. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so he, he they have this conversation and that's when he likes, he touches her hand and then he embraces her because it's cold and then he he's just like I gotta sit down and he just sort of like slumps to the floor <laughs> while she's in frame and she's just like she's kind of confused she does very little talking in this movie um, like almost all of her almost everything with her is like conveyed through through gestures or or facial expressions except for like one scene in which she has a am- pretty amazing like mini monologue um, but yeah then she like sits him down on the skateboard and pushes him home and the whole time like you know it's 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 like that conspicuous absence of the peril of sexual assault it's it's not there because you you've established that um what, what is his name crap uh just slipped from my mind arash yeah you've established that arash is like a decent guy who is you know, he doesn't want to get, like, that pill of ecstasy he takes, like, the girl that he was selling it to, or that he gave it to them for free because they're friends, and because also, she was the one that he stole those uh, those uh, earrings from, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, so, he, I don't know, maybe he felt bad, maybe he was just, like, doing them a favor because they were pretty girls. The um, the one who was in the uh, the skeleton makeup, that was her friend, that's the director. <laughs> nice. 
Um, so yeah, so we've established that he is like a good, decent guy who, you know, he steals, but the, the thefts are made to look like victimless crimes. And we've established that she is, she has killed, like, the, in, in the first act of this movie, you, you're introduced, like, to this guy who is the villain, like, the big bad villain who takes, like, Saeed's car keys, making, like, the, the car of the movie's MacGuffin, you know, if this was, like, a traditional film. Like, you're, you've got, like, a very, very sort of first act establishment of who's on what side, who wants what, and then at the end of, like, that first act, the girl just easily and quickly kills Saeed. Yeah, just, just with no with just no effort on her the part whatsoever. Them, yeah. yeah, and you know, and she follows him home and then, you know, he does a bunch of coke and then, you know, he's getting ready to uh to, you know, go do whatever with her and she she puts his her finger in his his finger in her mouth as um as she had seen like there's a there's a he's Said's also a pimp and like slightly before he was in a car, like in like an abandoned area, with like the one prostitute who who he pimps. There's like there's only one of everything in this movie, which I thought was an interesting choice. There's not like a bunch of prostitutes. There's like there is one pimp slash drug dealer. There is one prostitute. Yeah. Um. And yeah. So she she had done that. She had put like his finger in his mouth, uh, his finger in her mouth, and then uh, the girl does the same thing, and then just bites it off. She bites the finger right off, and he pulls his hand away. There's no finger; it's gushing blood. She yeah, he's, slowly, he's immediately screaming and and losing. Yeah, he goes know. from being like a super suave, like powerful dancing guy to just screaming and in pain, and clearly like things have gone very bad for him. And she takes the finger out of her mouth as as he slumps to the floor. She sort of circles his lips with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then she you know digs in. And yes, yeah, so like all like these two different characterizations lead up to this moment where like she's just like, well, you know, hey, my house is really close to here, and like, and anything else, you'd be like, that's possibly not a good idea to take this guy you don't know who is clearly on drugs back to your house. And yet, you know, when they get there, you're afraid for him. Yeah, the only possible concern here is that she's going to, you know, eat him, chew on his neck, which yeah, and and I think. That's sort of yeah, and and then she she almost does. She picks up his neck. She is right there, almost to do it, and then she doesn't. And then it cuts, and you know she didn't. Yeah, and you know that like that establishes something between the two of them in a way that like die you couldn't do that with dialogue, and it was just like that whatever it is between them that that establishes is is a big part of this movie. It is a big part of like their communication and why. They don't have to talk. Yeah. So uh, there's a there, there's there, there's some really interesting stuff. A lot a, a lot of what makes this work uh, as a film is the fact that I mean we talked about how there's not a whole lot of exposition. There's not there's not really a whole lot of dialogue. I mean it's it's not silent or anything, but it's it's pretty taciturn. It doesn't involve a whole lot of chattering. Um, and it leaves a lot of stuff very much sort of implied or unclarified, and and I like that in this case because I feel like uh, it works well to not know everything about these characters and not know everything about their their backstories. I mean, we we get to know gesturally a fair amount about Arash in terms of just like what the last few years of his life, at least, have been like. You know, um, apparently his mom, you know, either left or died. I don't remember which it is. I don't think they. I don't think they clarified it. Yeah, I, I, it's sort of implied that she's dead because they keep. Uh, they, 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 you know, the camera turns to pictures of her young a bunch of times. Yeah. And uh, Hussein, his father, is at 
be more or less an old man. I mean, you know, like the heroine is probably a big part of that. But he's he looks much younger in the pictures, so I think yeah. the implication there is that she's dead. Yeah. So 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 we we know that his dad has definitely taken some sort of fall into, uh, you know, drug addiction. Uh, he's established as uh, being maybe a little obsessed with uh, the one prostitute who we meet in the film. Um, you know, and, and so we get sort of this idea of Arash as sort of like, you know, struggling to sort of be caretaker for both of them and whatnot. Uh, but we don't get that kind of backstory at, at all for the girl. She just seems to exist in a kind of vacuum. And it's really interesting that the film sort of doesn't give us that to work with. There's no, you know, there's no vampire origin story here. There's no explanation of whether she is one of several vampires in the world or if she just happens to be this one you know, person who is yeah. vampiric. You know, I mean, it's established that she's not just another chewing on people's necks because we definitely see fangs pop out. So they, 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 they get explicit enough in sort of nodding to the, yes, there is a supernatural basis for this above and beyond, just like maybe a person decided they were a vampire. You know, she seems to be able to move around in an instant and disappear uh, when she's... She has powers. She absolutely yeah. has powers. Like she, she's presented, powers. Yeah, she's presented as moving uh, preternaturally quickly when she does pounce on people, and there's some, there's some nice fast speed camera there's, yeah, tricks there's there, There's a couple too. of small uh, insinuations that she has. She's not just very strong, but, like, incredibly strong. Um... You, do you remember the scene when she's you, you? You have drums, so you can you can explain this. <laughs> when she when uh, she's sort of like you know Sa- when Saeed takes her home, he ignores her. He does a bunch of drugs. He starts working out. Yeah, he, 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 music, yeah, he just he starts dances. He starts sort of weirdly peacocking. Uh, yeah, and it, she, it feels she like he's just not, like I I got you for the night sort of thing, not like you're coming here to screw and then leaving sort of thing. Well, see, I didn't I didn't really get that feel on on his really? behavior. That what I I really felt like he he got there and he was. My read on it was he he brought her home. I don't know if he knew exactly how he thought it was going to go, but he brought her home. Uh, she came in, and she very pointedly did not like. Oh gosh, this place is amazing. She totally was not flirting with him or anything. She, she was she just clearly like a ghost. Yeah, yeah. She's just she's just like you know moving in his wake. Uh, he sits down at his couch where he's got a suitcase full of drugs and stuff sitting there. You know, he does does some coke. Counts some cash, closes suitcase, puts a gun on, does some more coke, puts on some music, dances, dances works up there. He works Asks, out a yeah, little bit. Yeah, lifts some weight. You know, he's he's doing it's like he's just going through his list of like, what sort of things should I do to prove how manly I am, and sort of like you know, <laughs> you know, and it really feels like this huge sort of peacocking performance that he's just like throwing shit against the wall to see what'll stick, and nothing does. This girl keeps not like being like, oh, you like to work out, or oh yeah, I'd love some coke, or oh my gosh, is that a gun? You know, nothing. Like she, no reaction. She's literally just sort of ignoring him and wandering around his apartment. Uh, so yeah, I didn't I didn't really feel like it was so much that he was feeling genuinely casual and like whatever I've got you for the night. I mean, you I think, think that's sort of his mode going in. Her specifically. But yeah, he was sort of trying to sort of get into whatever the dynamic was going to be and that dynamic yeah. kept not showing up and it really had it had a sense of weird sort of uh, sort of accordioning Desperation on his part, like you know, not that they got into it deeply. Like it's not like if this scene had gone on for like another ten or fifteen minutes, I think without any response from her, I think he would have gotten like visibly upset about the situation and maybe like blustery and maybe kicked her the fuck out or done tried to do something violent. But as it is, all we really got, I felt like I thought it was really great that he was just like <laughs> all of his cool guy moves. She does not give a shit. I think that's that's a much better take on it. I like that. I also like the fact that when he starts dancing. 
there's there's a bunch of dancing in this movie, um, and I like that when he started dancing, they didn't play, you know, they they didn't choose to do like a goofy, you know, criminal guy dancing poorly thing. He dances weird and he dances well. Yeah. Like he puts on this this you know like the the music in this is is very um, you know Middle Eastern influence but contemporary. Uh, and it's just one of those pieces, and he just, you know, he doesn't dance like he's in, there. there's like some club dancing in this movie, he doesn't dance like that, he dances just like a little bit weird, and like he's got like, he's, he's, he's got a very like built sinewy body that he like unzips his shirt and you see it, and that was just, it was so strange, it was like almost Lynchian, like the director herself, she's just like, I fucking love David Lynch and Tarantino, <laughs> surprise! Yeah, no um, shocker there. Yeah, but yeah, it was that. I think him dancing was like well, a very Lynchian I thought that sort of the, moment. The dancing was an interesting point there too. Like it, it was a little bit of an inflection in that scene for me because like all the other stuff he's done, it's like he did a bunch of like blatantly macho, macho posturing things, mm-hmm. and then and then the dancing, it's still sort of like a hey, yeah, no, I'm a fun guy, let's dancing, yeah. But at the same time, it's a little bit more vulnerable, which is sort of interesting. Like at that point, it's like, hey, I'm gonna sort of put something out there, and maybe you'll pick it up, and you know. We can do was, this together. Versus, yeah. like, she, he wasn't like, "Hey, you want to come over and also count my money uh, for yeah. my drugs?" You know, like that was much more of a "let's establish just who the fuck I am" sort of feeling to me. It, it was a dance of seduction, but that's not something that men tend to do in film. Yeah, like, yeah. the dance of seduction is like a woman's thing where she presents herself as like available and vulnerable, and he kind of did that exact same thing. Yeah, it which wasn't really just like a you know a tough guy. I'm so strong. Dance. It was like a hey, hey, look at me. I'm hypnotic sort of thing. Yeah. Um, anyway, so then she walks over to his giant weed poster, which his drum set is under, <laughs> um, and she just she puts her thumb on the drum, and there is this again. I don't know if you picked it up on your TV, but the clang is enormous. Like it's definitely an outsize like bang on the drum, even though she does it with a single finger. And I'm wondering, like, is that implying that she is like that strong that she could flick a drum? You know, like a cymbal drum with a finger and make this enormous noise? Not really, no. Actually, cymbals are really easy to make some noise with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it was a little bit loud on the soundtrack to be sort of like a jarring, jarring. sort of distraction from his various uh, attempts to communicate his yeah. manliness or whatever. But but yeah, it was it was much more like honestly, if if you were having a conversation in my basement and someone wandered over to the cymbal and started tapping on it a little bit. You'd be like, oh, someone's having on a cymbal. Yeah. It's, <laughs> especially if it's a hi-hat, because those two just like slide against each other, and they make an enormous racket. So, so yeah, no, I don't okay. think that was actually supposed to be anything supernatural. That was just drums are fucking noisy, man. The I fact that, that he has it, a drum set uh, <laughs> in a residential area, you know, is a little bit tricky, yeah. that he has it like, you know, I felt like that almost read to me as a little bit of an I don't give a fuck, do you know who I am sort of thing, because, like, who's going to complain about his drumming if he wants to play some loud drums? Uh because you know, because yeah. <laughs> who he is, maybe, but uh, nobody, yeah, because nobody, like he is not, like he is not to be fucked with. Yeah, he, he, like they do a very good job of making him like exude, uh, just a not aggression, maybe, but you, you are afraid of this guy. That like, menace, he, menace, yeah, menace, yeah. You know, like it's, at it's, one point, he he picks up uh, the cat. Uh, and and he doesn't do anything bad to the cat. He he looks at the cat's gender by like picking the cat up. Like you know, you pick a cat up and he pets the cat a few times, and then he just lets it go. And like throughout that whole scene, at least for me, there was just like this intense. It's just like, oh holy god, what is yeah. he going to do yeah. to this cat? Which is funny because like it's it's a total inversion of. Uh, I don't know if you saw uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Nope. Um, but uh, it has a a brief scene with a cat that ends up with a cat being murdered but sort of comically it's like thrown out a window um, to its implied death and it's Jeff Goldblum's cat 
uh, and that's played for laughs, but it's it's a sort of thing where like there's a total villain guy, total villain goon is handling this cat and being you know menacing in conversation. But then he he like chucks the cat out the window. Almost it's it's underplayed. If anything, like Jeff Goldblum sort of realizes after the fact. Wait a second, did that guy throw my cat out the window? So it's uh, it just it, it made me briefly. Uh, fixed on that but yeah no i had the same thing with this scene it's like oh you're gonna fucking like the 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 fact that the vague threat of doing something the cat is so effective in establishing that sort of and reinforcing that menace uh says something i I guess to some extent about our relationships (laughs) with cats but uh but yeah no it was really so yeah he is really effectively set up and it, it was kind of surprising and interesting uh that the film set him up and then just so thoroughly you know use that as a pivot point to get him out of the picture and just say oh okay this is who this girl is and he was i mean i think the movie would have suffered if he was going to continue being in it because like you know there is there there is a a monster there is a literal monster in this movie it is a monster movie there is a monster in the movie there is a thing of supernatural powers that you would you know like see in fantasy or comic book but he was like a comic book character in this movie and like the his removal of it toned this vampire movie down yeah which i thought was interesting um also, I oh, just going back quickly to that to the thing with the uh, the symbol. I like that you know she was sort of ignoring him, and then she hits the thing, and he just like immediately comes to her. And I like the the idea of that being like sort of like a like a harem gong where she like he brought her home, but like she is she completely him, in control yeah. here. Yeah, he she brings him to her. Yeah. Um, and and you know it's got like the you know part of the vampire lore is like their intense magnetism. And that's what's happening in here, but none of it is supernatural. It's yeah. all just her knowing how to, you know, very specifically manipulate this person. Yeah. I, yeah, I want to talk about her character a little bit more in terms of just sort of like what I got from the film there. Because one of the things that I thought was really interesting uh, about the film was the way that what little we know about this setting we we don't learn much about the city we don't learn a whole lot about the characters other than through their direct interactions with each other uh and we specifically have no idea what her deal is like we get no information again there's no backstory there's no origin story on this she's just who she is she's this girl she's clearly very much you know a uh isolated you know essentially human girl living in an apartment who also is a supernatural you know, vampire who murders people. There's um, a small point. She wears the exact same thing anytime she's in public. Yeah, yeah. She's always wearing that uh, white striped shirt and that uh, Shador. She's yeah, wearing like yeah, a pair of like you know uh, jeans that are you know like ankle length jeans, a uh, pair of you know like sneakers, not like you know athletic sneakers, but like you know cute girl sneakers, I guess. Um, and you know a a full length uh, Shador, which you know starts like as a headscarf on her head covering her hair and dropping down and just dropping down all the way to the floor and it's a fucking vampire cape. Yeah, no, it it's, is it, with, yeah, it is it's great. 100% a vampire cape. Yeah, cuz I mean she can, she can close it around her and then it then it uh, you know is more fully enclosing and looks yeah. more like uh, like a burka but then yeah. she can open it up and it's much more like, you know, behind her as a as a hanging cape. But either way, yeah, yes. there's the the scene where she's like uh, she gets the skateboard and she's just like going slightly <laughs> downhill I love towards that. the camera with the skateboard with like her arms out like and the Shador just like you know, like Batman's cape behind her just like completely in the wind and it was just such yeah, a beautiful it's a, shot. It's a, it's a beautiful it, that was fantastic. 
yeah, so 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 she is she is a cipher in terms of any sort of trying to read the specific nature of like we don't know if she is older than she looks. We don't know if she is, you know, immortal and long lived and has been around or if she's literally exactly the, you know, twenty something girl she looks like who just happens to have been a vampire for some amount of that time or all that time you know and and none of these things are brought up in the film none of them you know arash certainly never asks about any of this uh most of the people who encounter her in bitey vampire mode are then dead so there's never a conversation about it uh but even even when she kills uh uh arash's dad uh well well said i mean there's no one there who's coming on yeah, Hussein. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so, so when she kills Arash's dad, Hussein, uh, you know the 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 other woman, the the older woman, the the prostitute, um, is there, and they don't have a discussion about, oh my gosh, you're a vampire. Oh my gosh, you know it, that happened, and she's like, okay, we need to get rid of the body. You know, it's like it, there's there's a there's a lack of obsession with the idea of the supernatural. And, you know, maybe that's supposed to just speak to the specific world weariness of the characters on that front. Maybe it's supposed to speak to a general lack of interest in the idea of the supernatural in this uh, city. Maybe it's supposed to speak to the nature of the city itself as being, you know, a bad place where enough inexplicably bad things happen that people don't blink at things that we would otherwise say, oh, well, that's clearly crazy and supernatural. I think the, the, the reaction of the, the, the prostitute, you know, the first time that uh, they meet, you know, the, the girl tells her, it's just like, you know, I, I've been following you, and she's like, oh, what, what, what did you see? She's like, well, you, you don't want, or like, it's been a long time since you've wanted anything, and I think that, like, you know, the, the, you know, the, the woman has, like, clearly seen some shit, and, like, she's the oldest character in the movie at 30, um, and she has clearly been through, like, some shit. Between, well, except like, for having Hussein. To, Oh, yeah, except for Hussein, yeah. But, um, yeah, like, and, you know, immediately after, you know, uh, the, what happens is that uh, Hussein gets kicked out of his house by Arash, who just gives him, like, a ton of the money that he's made uh, dealing these drugs that he stole, like, you know, from Saeed's house. Um, and that's another thing he steals with, like, no yeah. compunction whatsoever. Well, and that, well, that happened, he's already, he's already at that point, he's stolen the diamond earrings. We see the yeah. the active moral struggle on his part before he makes the decision mm-hmm. to do that. And then after that, he comes across the dead body, the guy who he's going to pawn them to. And at that point, like, yeah, I feel like he was sort of on a roll. And we get the Western music yeah. soundtrack and the montage of him essentially yeah. embracing this new role. So, yeah, that, I feel like <laughs> at that point, he was sort of, sort of primed to descend yeah. a little bit. But anyway, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, so uh, so Hussein, uh, he, so he goes to the the prostitute's house. God, what is her name? I I, I need to look that up. But uh, I, anyway, and he he th- and there is like and this is like the one scene in which there is like significant like sexual peril. But even then, it you know it doesn't it doesn't take off because he's just like he's talking to the prostitute. He's like, let's have a good time, and he he takes out a. Uh, a syringe full of heroin, and then he, she's just like, no, I do not want to do that. And then he stands up in front of her and like removes the belt from his pants, and you're like, oh shit. And then he grabs the belt and ties her hands together, and then you're like, and then it, it just, you know, and then injects her with the heroin, and then he gets, you know, behind her and her hands are tied in front of her. And again, this is all like, you know, something in which there could be like, you know, significant peril. Um, and then he just sort of passes out because he's full of heroin. Yeah. Um, and then that's it. And then that's when, you know, the girl um, 
is that when the ca- the cat is looking at all of this, right? Yes, yes. And then, yeah, the cat is looking at this, and suddenly the girl outside, you know, it's... The implication is that, you know, she's seen through the cat, or, like, the cat was her eyes, which is another, like... And and that's, that's you know, another standard sort of vampire thing, is, you know, the there's a connection with an ability to transform into animals. Yeah. Uh, an ability to use animals for your for your benefit and other people, you know, it's in the same way. So, and then you know, she very quickly shows up in there, drags him out of bed by like one leg, quickly, like pulls him right out of the bed, and then just goes into him. And all the while, like the prostitute has woken up, and she watches, and then it cuts, and they are dragging the body out to yeah. the uh, to you know, like the city's uh, what do you call it? Um, Inexplicable. Trench full of dead bodies. <laughs> yeah, I was not totally clear on that. A potter's grave. It's a potter's grave. Okay, that that's what that is, right? Is that is that a thing? That that, that was something that I was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be having a specific what the fuck reaction to this. Well, or have not, you but seen the end? Of, have you seen Amadeus? Uh, gosh, yes, I think. At, at the end of the body, ago? at the end of the movie, his body is chucked into a ditch full of dead bodies, and they throw some lime on it. Um, so I think it's a thing. I think that's sort of a, you know, like a ditch of dead bodies that nobody has the money or desire to bury is a thing. Interesting. Uh, Pottersfield, Common Grave. Yeah, Pottersfield or Common Grave. I, I mean, I think sometimes they're covered, but clearly not always. Yeah, I, I had not encountered um, that in, in a contemporary context yeah. or anything. And then, yeah, yeah, they, they, they work together to dump the body in there, and, and, and sort of that's it. Uh, the... You know, the movie takes a different... You know, the movie goes to a different place from there, but, you know, you you don't get the idea that this has, like, this... The relationship between the two of them is incredibly tenuous. They're just two women who are having just very, you know, difficult, strange lives compared to just, I guess, average people. Yeah. And, And you don't, you know, you don't get the idea that, like, that event changed much between the two of them. Yeah. Like, this just... This this occurred... And I mean, some of this you can read through the lens of uh, Adi, that's her name, uh, being, you know, on, on on heroin or whatever, too. So she may have been a little bit less uh, reactive in some ways than otherwise. But I don't really get that right. feeling. Like, she really seems like she's presented as really kind of... Uh, I think the only difference had she not been on heroin is that she probably would have helped the girl with the bomb. <laughs> I think that would have been the only difference. Yeah. Um... um. The thing I like about the cat thing is, like, nothing in the film actually declares that to be so either. Like, you can very much read that cinematographically and in terms of the narrative as what happened, because otherwise she's just sort of showing up abruptly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, the film never, like, does any, like, dissolve between her eyes and the cat's eyes or anything like that. You just get really conspicuous shots of the cat and some really great, you know, it, it, it's it's not a funny scene at all, but it's it, it's it's a little funny seeing such good expressive close-up photography of a cat the, mixed into the this. cat. It's a very th- this is the best acting animal I've seen in like not a movie about a dog playing basketball. You know, the cat the cat acts. Apparently, the the cat was never originally going to be in the movie, but then the director. Um, I guess saw the cat's ability to act and was like, "We we, we got to have this cat." Well, see, and this is the thing: you want to cast a cat in a nice, sort of like mute, brooding role is what you want to do because yeah. it doesn't have to be a great actor. You just have to be able to get it, you know, to look in the right direction and have that expression. It's 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 kind of a Ryan Gosling thing, like you know, not to say Ryan Gosling isn't actually a good actor, but if you look at you know some of the stuff that he's been really effective in, uh, like like The Driver. 
uh, you know, that's a movie where he, you know, very rarely emotes. Like his character's whole thing is this weird, uh, you know, almost mute affectlessness for for most of what happens in the film. And so that that's a good cat role if you needed to, if you need a good cat role like you know Ryan Gosling thing with you know you you get I, all the expression out of the surrounding context of this blank you know penetrating stare. I, I definitely just want to see this now with Ryan Gosling replacing Cat Madison as the cat is in. <laughs> like maybe not necessarily on all fours or anything, but just there and shot in the exact same way the cat is, and I think it would it yeah. would make it a stranger movie, but I don't think it would ruin the movie. <laughs> and we're back. Uh what were we talking about? Uh, oh, I wanted to talk about... I was, I was trying to talk about uh, the girl. And so having established that we don't really have a backstory for her, having established that she's 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 kind of a cipher uh, right up until the point where we start seeing anything happen to her on screen, uh, one of the things that I think is interesting uh, is how the film fa- frames sort of her relationship with her life and... Arash's relationship with his, and the way the film ends is them essentially leaving the city together, which they both... Uh, the, the, the film has Arash feeling very trapped at the beginning of the film. Like, that's clearly yeah. established that, you know, he's he's caring for his junkie dad, dealing with his dad's, you know, pimp drug dealer, uh, definitely having a terrible time because of that. His dad, you know, acknowledging even in a, a sort of petulant way the fact that he is a burden on his son... Um, he spent, um, you know, he said he spent six years getting that car that he has, and it's not implied that he's got like another thing that he's working for now. Yeah, it's like so, he got that car, and 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 that's sort of like his big accomplishment. And you know, considering he's portrayed as fairly young, that means he's been you know working his his whole you know young adult life essentially just for that one goal, and then that's taken away from him. And yeah, it's not clear that he has much else going on. And so yeah, he it seems like he's very trapped in this terrible, broken family situation. Uh, she, we don't get a portrayal of as being explicitly trapped or anything, but she seems not to be making any effort to change her life and also doesn't seem to be particularly enjoying her life. So, you know, it, it's it's more implicit there since we get less about her character. She has things in her life that she enjoys and she has, like, hobbies, but she's, like, very melancholy. I would say I would go as far as to say she has things in her life that she seems to care for. Like I don't know that yeah. we ever see her like actively enjoy a thing. Like there's she no dances. There there's a point at which she dances and she clearly like like the, having music uh, you know in her life is important. Yeah, yeah, I I, I, I agree with that. I, I would I would definitely go as far as saying it's portrayed that sort of music and uh, her dancing to the music and to some extent uh, I think. A, a, a fashion sensibility to her outings, uh, even if they're primarily to go out and fuck with people and occasionally murder them. You know, there, 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 there's that sense that this that stuff is all meaningful for her, but we never really... There, there's no portrayal of any kind of, like, joie de vivre. You know, she's never right. portrayed as being... Joyful. Know, yeah, no, no, not joyful, not happy. So she seems very sort of, you know, in that sense, appears to be sort of stuck where she is, and we don't get a sense of ambition. We don't, don't get a sense of movement from her. So whether she's... 200 years old or 20 years old either way she seems very sort of like she is where she is and she doesn't seem to be trying to change it but she also doesn't seem to be you know measurably happy with it um 
and and so taking from that the interactions we see her having with people are in some cases killing people who seem to be objectively bad like you know Saeed there's no question like that guy you know everybody was happy to see him murdered uh, Hossein it's tricky because he's like, like, like that scene you described like he's at his least sympathetic right then because yeah, yeah. There, there's this atmosphere of sort of gross coercion even if ultimately he doesn't end up doing any significant harm there the fact that he was willing to uh force uh, the heroin on her, the fact that there was that sexual tension, the fact that they've got this weird, fucked up, exploitative relationship in both directions. You know, he certainly wasn't, like, a sympathetic character right. at that point in the film, even if at times in the film he could have been a little bit more so. Um, but also, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd been up to some shit, and, you know, she kills him. Uh, but she also, the little kid on the, on the skateboard, who she acquires the skateboard from, um, you know, he's he is obviously just a kid. Like we don't get any secret glimpse into him being a horrible human being. He's just right. some some kid who lives in in the neighborhood, uh, and she really you know puts the fear of God into him. Do, do you did he steal that candy he ate? He is might that have. Why that I don't happened? know. I that's the only thing that I can think of because I mean the scene starts. You know, you get this little kid that we've seen before. He's you know he's a beggar. He's I mean either he has nothing to do or he's poor and he's poor and you know he begs. And you see him like walking down like this dark street, um, and he just stops in the middle of his dark street, and he's got a I think he's got a skateboard under his arm, uh, and he unwraps his candy and he put it, puts it in his mouth, and that's when he sees her. And she's close, and then he runs, and then he just bumps into her. It's like that very classic, like, sort of, you know, like, running away from the killer, bumping into the killer kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, she absolutely, I mean, what she's, she says, you know, she's like, I will, I'll, I'll, I will drink blood from your skull and eat out your eyes or something along those lines. She, yeah, she asks him if he's a good boy a few times, each time more menacingly than the next. Well, and, 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 just, yeah, and, yeah, threatens him if he lies and... And uh, and yeah, and and eventually she like you know, and she says, "Be a good boy," um, yeah. and he gets the fuck out of there. And then she wanders off on a skateboard, and and then she runs into yeah, a she's rock. Yeah, she's like, "Hey, skateboard!" Uh, so um, so so it feels like she. We don't know why she does this, but she has clearly taken on some role as sort of a moral arbiter. And that's one of the interesting things about her interactions with Arash is by the time she's interacting with him, he's done some bad shit, you know? And yeah. it's very possible to say, okay, well, if what's happening here is she's essentially acting as the force of nature that in some horror films essentially punishes immorality, then Arash is probably fucked too. Because, hey, uh, by by the same token, Adi might be, you know, in trouble depending on what pit to the moral code uh, count, um, you know, but but we don't actually see that play out, uh, and I feel like I I guess what I'm wondering about her character is if, however, she got to where she is now, if she's essentially internalized the nature of the bad stuff in the city and internalized her nature as this sort of monster by whatever means that happened, um, is I mean, I, is she acting as this you know sort of moral arbiter partly? out of an attempt to sort of prevent others from ending up in the same situation she's in somehow? Like, does she see herself as, because of the monstrous nature of her vampirism, uh, does she see herself as essentially irrevocably bad in this interaction with a little kid trying to prevent him from ending up becoming something bad in a city that tends to be bad because she's trying to sort of 
save him from ending up somehow in the moral territory that she's trapped? I think she might be trying to, like, play to some sort of uh, archetype she has of, you know, like a, a you know, a, a, a monster in a town of monsters who punishes the, the, the ones that are, you know, bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, just like, just trying to take away any sort of, um, just trying to, you know, within herself in any way, take away any sort of inherently negative part of being a monster. But clearly she can't. She's a vampire. There's only, it, it's, it's, you know, at one point there's a brief scene where she, uh, you know, drinks the blood and it's implied kills a homeless man. So, you know, there's not enough bad people here to make it just like a Dexter sort of thing where she only goes after bad people. She yeah. clearly has to go after innocent people. And I think she, I think she's just sort of trying her best without having any sort of instructions. Yeah, she's, there's not some like council making, of vampires telling yeah, her how she, to do. She, she's making choices, and those choices are not going to always be consistent. Yeah, because but then they they don't need to be because she's she's not under anybody's purview. You know, there's there's no like you know local vampire four seventy six that's going to be like, hey, you, you, you can't do that. Yeah, you know, so that's why you know uh, she can just you know she can. She can take off. She can. She can. You know, do the, do do whatever she wants. And she's trying to figure out what is worthwhile doing. And like you know, the whole thing with the kid. Even if that was to you know like scare the kid from a life of whatever. There's there. It, it's sort of like the 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 you know spoiler alert a little bit for it follows. It's sort of like the plan in It Follows, where it's not... It doesn't seem like a good plan. It, it doesn't seem like a, a plan that will work. It just seems like, you know, you're trying something. You're throwing something at a wall and seeing if it works. I think that's kind of what that was. Yeah. Uh, in that she, you know, there's this child and, you know, she will put the fear into the child to keep her from ending up like many other people in this, you know, place. Like the... And, you know, there's, you know, like even the person, you know, her... Her, her lover, or you know, whatever you want to call him, he is, you know, he's a thief. He is repeatedly stolen. He has dealt drugs. He, um, you know, he. It, it, it's arguable. This is like yeah, this might be one of those, you know, very culturally dependent things. But I don't know what kicking your junkie father out of the house, it, it, whether there's like cultural associations to that that we're missing or not. Like I, you know, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. I, I, I don't know. But that that's definitely seen as like something he he's done like as a last resort. Yeah. Um, and you know for obvious reasons, but I, I I don't know if there's extra cultural significance to that that where we we just don't get um, or whether it's you know the same. Yeah. I guess part of where I'm going with this is trying to think about how I feel about the end of the movie. Like like to some extent, I I, I took her essentially. Because I mean, it, it, it basically plays out as him basically saying, "Hey, let's leave. Let's leave together." Yeah. Because uh, like she she's killed his father, and they she they they didn't take his they didn't take Hussein to the Potter's Field. They took him. They they dropped him in front of some place. I don't know if that was if that was their apartment. I don't know what that was where they dropped him in front of. Uh, do you did you did you figure it out? No, no. Yeah, it's somewhere somewhere that everybody could find it. Um, and explicitly not the, the, the field, which um, I guess I'm still trying to, like, make sense of that. It's maybe because, like, they knew who it was and it wasn't somebody that was necessarily, like... Because they dumped, you know, Saeed's body right in there. But this wasn't... Maybe he was... He deserved something slightly better than, like, having his body dumped in the field. Yeah. 
Um, so maybe that's why they did that. But but yeah, basically the choice to leave. I feel like to some extent, you know, that may be her more formally freeing, like, like, like accepting that she doesn't have to stick with that maybe malformed idea of you know lurking as some sort of arbiter of justice in this town that she hates. You know, and, yeah. and to some extent, embracing the idea that she exists outside of yeah that role, like you say, she sort of was patching together for herself, maybe. Um, also, the 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 Batman co- comparisons, you know, work pretty well too. I mean, you could read this film as a very wry commentary on on sort of the weirdness of uh, Batman comics. Um, thinking about. Uh, I don't fear. know. Well, yeah, yeah using, and, using fear and using violence. Yeah, and, and lurking in the night and wearing a cape and 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 all that stuff. Um, seems like that kind of works, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I thought I had more for that thought than I did, but uh, um, the uh, the uh, what do you call it? Talked about uh, talked about Said. Um, Trying to remember. Give me one sec. We'll look, look at my notes. But if you have anything, uh... no, I think I've I, I've hit most of the things that were jumping out at me. Um, oh, uh, right. So when she's trailing the little kid, um, that is partially out of Dracula. Um, there's uh, it, you know, the Dracula. It's it's an epistolary novel, um, and. A bunch of it first takes place, uh, Jonathan Harker writing letters home from Transylvania, and then the, uh, then, you know, Dracula's put on a ship with all of his stuff, and he moves to England, into his new house, uh, that Jonathan Harker was, like, the real estate attorney for, that's why he was going out there. Yeah. Um, but there's, like, you know, and then there's, there's stories of, uh, you get newspaper exper- excerpts, and one of the newspaper excerpts is that, like, that ship that Dracula was on, like, a bunch of the crew died mysteriously on it, but there's yeah. also newspaper stories of, like, a young woman just wandering around at night luring children and killing them, and it's very, very intensely implied that it's a vampire doing it. And I thought that was, like, another one of those, you know, things where it's just, like, if you if you know about that, like, sort of thing... You're, it's you know you're you're about to see like a, a significant definition of the character of the girl. Like, is, is she going to like eat the kid? She gonna and you know she ends up not eating the. She ends up scaring him and stealing from him. Yeah. Um, which I thought was like yeah. There was another like again like a completely. The movie does not judge her stealing this little kid's skateboard, which I thought was really interesting. Um. And I guess another way that, like, you know, it's just like a sort of implied point of um, overlap in, in, in attitudes bef- between her and Arash. Uh, oh, and then, you know, there's, like, the tons and tons of stuff that she had stolen from... I, I, I don't know if it's implied just... Um, it was implied that she stolen... Like, she, she, she got, like, <laughs> a, lot a lot of, jewelry. of jewels. Yeah, yeah, watches yeah, a lot of jewelry. jewelry. I think and there was more at the was end Saeed, there than but, Saeed could have had. Yeah, I, I, yeah, some of it was, like... She very distinctly takes stuff from Saeed, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. She she's got a lot there at the end, and that's what she offers uh, Addie when she you know like she meets Addie on the street. They pass each other by and then they stop, and um, from like under her you know cape, uh, she produces like a whole bunch of Saeed's jewelry. And Addie's just like, oh shit, where did you get that? And she's just like, follow me. And then they have this like very very strange conversation between the two of them, where Addie's just like, I'm not going to teach you 
how to be a prostitute, but you don't get the sense she's completely serious about that because it's, you know, Addie's very lonely. There's a brief, like a really, really brief line that Saeed says to her when they're in the car. It's just like, you know, she's, she's just like, oh, you're 30. Don't, you know, women want kids. And like the interaction between the girl and Addie was just like very much one of those, she's just like, I'll tolerate you being around here because she's clearly so lonely. And like, you know, there's this young girl that she could, you know, at least have a conversation with who some in some way I guess cares for her yeah like because she gives her like all of that jewelry knowing you know exactly what it means and it's you know like fancy like it's it's jewelry that has like a large price attached um and also that it was during like their conversation that she's just like the girl's just like avidly staring at um a map of the world uh did you did, did you make any sense of that like I mean I figured that was just like Jim trying to show that she does want to get out of there, yeah, yeah. out of Bad City one way or another, and it's just like her like deep, deep focus on this map. Um, yes, I would buy that. Yeah. I would buy that read. Like, I, I want to say there's something more to it because it's that's such like a facile read of it. Like, it's it's too easy, I think, for a movie like this for that to just be that. But I mean, eh, might as well, it could be. You know, there's a lot of. You know they don't always go for the for, for the for the complicated symbol or or like the you know really you got to really puzzle it out sort of thing. They leave that for the emotional stuff. Um, yeah, the the scene. Um, oh, which scene is this? Oh yeah, yeah. And then you know when when Arash is just like we have to leave. She has like one bag and she takes this one bag and she just shovels like a shitload of like jewelry, like diamond jewelry, into there. She's like, well, I'm I'm ready. Um, and then, so, oh, so after she had, uh, she kills Hussein at Addie's, uh, house or trailer or whatever it is, uh, Addie's just like, take the cat, I don't want the cat. And so she takes the cat, and then, you know, um, Arash finds out that his father's been killed, and he doesn't, he's sad about it, but he's not nearly as sad or angry as when his car was stolen. Yeah. <laughs> like not nearly. He breaks his like he breaks his arm punching a wall because his car was stolen. Yeah. His dad, he's just like you know, he just sort of like maybe bites down his fist or does something along those lines. He's just like, ah fuck, ah, god damn ah. He's he's frustrated with it and it hurts him, but the car was worth more. Well it's, yeah, um, yeah. Very very yeah. different emotional relationships with those <laughs> two yeah. characters, as it were. Uh yeah. And then he shows up to uh, in the you know in the middle of the night he shows up to um, to uh, the girl's house and she like greets him oh, wait yeah yeah and he's just sort of like sitting like in her hallway and it almost looks like there's a dead body deposited at her doorstep and I think that was intentional <laughs> yeah and she comes out and she's wearing nothing but like a shirt um, again it's just like one of those things that she finds it's safe to do because she is she she does not have to be afraid. Um, and, you know, she sort of goes in, he's just like, we, we have to leave. And she, you know, you don't, she doesn't respond. She doesn't really say anything in that scene at all. And then, you know, like, he, he says a few more things, and then she just very slowly starts packing. Like, he, he had convinced her, you know, just by asking her. Yeah. And then, um, you know, he's sitting on the couch, and she's packing, like, her stuff, and then the cat comes out. And like, and then you know, his cat that you know ended up with his dad. That after she had killed his dad, she took the cat. Like that before that, there had been like you know, I, I don't think Arash knows about Addie. I don't think he's known that there has been any kind of interaction between you know the people in this movie. You know, all of the interactions are sort of very isolated from each other. Nobody knows who's talking to whom else. Yeah. 
Um, and there's this like shot, like the cat comes out, and it's like all it's very very subtle slow motion, and very very subtle like audio, uh, not flanging but like stretching out. And then he looks at her, and like the the camera is just very intensely on his sweaty face. Like parts of it are parts of his face are blurred, and other parts are in like extremely deep. Like you can see the pores focus. Um, and it's just like one of those moments where you know it's just like, well, now he knows. Like he, you know, the movie isn't saying anything, but he knows, and you know that he knows that she is responsible for his father's death. Yeah. Um, and. And then do they just immediately get in the car and drive? I think they get in the car and sort of sit. Um, well, they drive first and then they stop. Okay. Or did they sit? Yeah, I think they get into the car and then there's like a first person shot of like, you know, a car uh, running down a, uh, a uh, what do you call it? A, a, a dark street. And then you see him sort of pull over like onto the shoulder. And again, like even, even at the very end of this movie, there are all these like scenes that would, that you could like ascribe, you know, like, sexual peril to like you know he's pulled over with this girl on the side of like completely abandoned road and you know you and the cat's there and you you know you know at this point like it's not clear what she knows maybe she's put it together maybe she hasn't it's it's not clear it's 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 clear that it doesn't matter to her like where whichever way it plays out like if he had been just like you killed my father I'm leaving you forever it's it's sort of clear that she wasn't going to like fight to be with him yeah. Um, and then so he gets out of the car and he walks out, and this is all in complete silence. It's just like the rumbling of the car. He walks out into the headlights, and then you see him like in these headlights. You see her in the car with the cat. And then he's just like, he paces a bit, he stops, he thinks, he very slowly turns to her. And then he walks back into the car, and they're both like staring dead ahead, like at the end of um, The Graduate with, like, these uncertain looks. (laughs) And then they very, very, very slowly turn to each other and make eye contact. And I think this becomes the first time in the movie that she does anything that resembles smiling. Like, she, like, her expression softens. Because she's always got, she's always, you know, very severe looking. She's either severe or, you know, sad or maybe sometimes rarely surprised. Uh, like when he hugs her, like that is definitely like a look of surprise on her. Yeah. Um. And and they look at each other and then they make eye contact and then you know it's the you know very last shot of the movie. You see like the back of the car. The car revs up. The taillights turn on. The 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 uh, there's illumination on the license plate and then that's it. And you know the, there's you know a heavy implication there that he got over it. He like there is there is more to like in that scene of him pacing in front of the the headlights than you could ever put into dialogue between the two of them. Yeah. And it's all it's all implied. It's all just communicated only with, you know, emotions and action. And I thought that was just like, I mean, a lot of movies really blow the ending. <laughs> a lot of movies blow the ending. And this one just again, it 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 does something that it, it did before where it it puts you into a situation where you've seen movies, so you think you know what's going to happen. He's going to confront her about this, and there's going to be a fight, or you know somebody's going to cry, and you know somebody might apologize, or maybe say, "I won't apologize. He treated you like crap. He deserved it." And you know maybe it's supposed to be like one of those kind of things, and it isn't any of that. It's just it's just an acknowledgement of what happened and of the fact that it's it's triggered their their need to get out of this town. But now, getting out of this town, nothing is more important to them than that. 
Yeah. Like, nothing that's happened in the past. It's like, from that point on, like, the only thing that is important is their future. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it, and, you know, she doesn't vampire him. He possibly doesn't find out, you know, he knows something weird about her, but, you know, it, it, the secret isn't revealed to him in any way, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think, yeah, I don't think the film ever really gives a clear sense that he knows what her situation is exactly. But then he, he didn't examine the body closely, but... I think he would have seen the cause of death. Because, I mean, she she ripped into him. Yeah. That there was, you know, and probably into his neck, and, you know, he was laying with the uh, that, that side of the neck closer to the wall. But, you know, if there was, like, an enormous just gash bite thing on his neck... Because this isn't, like, you know, like the clean, sexy sort of, like, you know, just the two little teeth go in and make pinpricks and draw the blood out. You know, she... Like, when, when she finishes with... Um, when she finishes with Saeed, you know, like, her mouth is caked with blood. Yeah. Like, the entirety of, like, her mouth. Um, so it's it's not it, it's not like a clean sort of vampire bite. So I, he must have seen that. And, well, and, you know, I mean, she comes out of Saeed's apartment, I think still yeah. with fairly bloody lips, the first time oh, yeah, he meets yeah. her. So, I mean, he kind of also has to have you know, a possibility yeah. of putting something because she sort of wanders out blase and with a bloodied mouth yeah so like you know whether or not he definitively just oh she that must be that girl who murdered saeed like you know she's she was on the scene you know it's like unless you just decide to forget about that entirely you know it's got to be something in the back of his head too so yeah There was a couple of shots, or like you know, very brief things that were worth mentioning. When he's dancing with um, Shida, the uh, the rich girl, uh, and you know he's on ecstasy and they're dancing together, and he leans in to get a kiss, and she's like, you know, Arash, Arash, and just sort of continues to dance with him. And he's on ecstasy, and you know the camera work is very, very at this point, sort of like bordering on psychedelic, subjective, and you see him fade it like back away from her really slowly kind of fading and he's dressed as Dracula by the way which I mean in this case is just he's got like I think at that point he's got the funny teeth because the guy like he pulls back from her and then some guy puts like funny teeth in his mouth and starts dancing with her and then she starts dancing with Rosh again actually um, but yeah he sort of like fades into the background in like a very vampiric kind of way like you know the camera go- goes black just like where he is he like he you know, he disappears into the shadows. And it's, you know, and he's got this, you know, goofy vampire costume. He's doing that on. And it's just, and yet at the same time, it's like the absolutely perfect, like, cinematic representation of what you want to happen if you go in for a kiss and you're like, nope, none of that. Like, you know, he just wanting to, like, disappear completely into the shadows from that moment in, like, your own embarrassment. Yeah. Um, and I, I really enjoyed how, like, you know, they, they, there was like that split of like these two like one very realistic thing and one like incredibly supernatural thing just sort of combined into this one thing of him slinking off into the darkness yeah. in a very weird way um uh the when he pierces her ears um you know he he, he they he leaves a note on her door saying you know meet me at the uh the old power plant uh and signs a dracula which I thought was nice. Um, <laughs> and then uh, he, you know, she shows up there and, you know, he's got his car and um, they're just hanging out in front of his car and uh, he's talking and she's not. 
and you know he offers her a hamburger and he's just like I've never met anybody who didn't like hamburgers and it's just <laughs> such a fucking like James Deany sort of thing and uh, yeah I mean it's it's very very much implied that she does not eat food um, because she's also uh, Eddie also uh, offers her like a plum or a pear or something and she just sort of pokes it yeah and actually that's mirrored in the um, like the morning after Arash you know meets her and takes the ecstasy you see him like sort of like poking at these like you know gross greasy looking eggs that he clearly doesn't want and I thought that was like a very clever sort of mirroring of yeah. just like you know he was on speed all night he's not hungry now <laughs> um, and uh Wait, where was I getting with this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, and so he gives it these... He's just like, I've noticed one other thing. And then he, like, you know, puts his hand on the side of her head and brushes aside the uh, the, the head kerchief part. And he's just like, your ears aren't pierced. And this, I think that's, like, the, the second time he touches her. And, like, every time they touch, it is so intimate and then completely non-sexual. Um, like, I think just, like, the, the laying on of hands on her is just, like... I think, like, as a viewer, you're kind of scared. Because, again, vampire. Yeah. Um, and he just... He sort of brushes, you know, her hair and, you know, her headkerchief aside. And he's like, your ears aren't pierced. And then she just immediately brings up a safety pin. <laughs> yeah. Just, like, out of the bottom of the screen. Boop. And he's just like, really? And she's like... She nods at him. And then he, he grabs his Zippo. And there's this, like, really cool shot of, like, you know, very, very... Uh, very uh, tight close-up of, like, the lighter lighting and, and doing the thing. And then he pokes her in the ear, and she tosses her head, like, away from him and towards the camera. And you see that, you know, her, her vampire teeth had come out. Yeah. And I thought that was that was very clever, just, of you know, just, like, another one of those classic, like, um, I'm a vampire, but I don't always want to be a vampire because I want to get along with people thing. And it's just like, oh, you get mad, the teeth come out. Um... So yeah, I, I like that a lot. Yeah, that was that, that was nice, and yeah, and that's that's the closest thing you have to the you know classic. Oh, it will her animal side or his animal side overcome the vampire and destroy this budding love sort of situation. It's yeah. a, it's that moment of like pain and annoyance, and then it's like oh, okay, well no, do the other one now, you know? Yeah, and then she she wears them. There's um. There is a shot of her in this movie that is topless, that is completely unlascivious. It's just like oh, the bathtub, sort of, yeah. Yeah, the way she's like laying in a bathtub, kind of like submarining it. You know, you, all you see is like her eyes above the surface of the water, but the water's clear and you can see, you know, her her, her breasts. And then she sort of rises up out of the water, you know, very. Uh, very slowly, and then you you see her breasts, and I, it was just there's something about that. Like I, I think I know what 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 she was trying to do with that scene. The director, I mean, it's kind of like, um, have you read Tim Creter's essay on a? Uh, it's called uh, Beginning Sociology or On Sociology. I don't think so, no. Or Sociology 101, maybe. It's it's about um, Eyes Wide Shut. It's this amazing, amazing essay that completely oh, changed you know, the way. Yeah, I didn't remember the title. Of it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I did. I did read that sociology. a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. So there's he says that like there's a part all the way in the beginning of that movie, like in the very very beginning, because the movie was just like it's it's a movie about sex, but it's it's very much not. It's just that it, incidentally there's a bunch of sex in it, but it's not like sexy sex. It's you know weird sex. Um, and he's just like it's like you know I know it, the way Creeder explains it is Kubrick that that he tells you with a scene. He's just like I know you came here to see Nicole Kidman naked. 
Like, you want to see this, you know, incredibly attractive, uh, you know, movie actress naked. And he gives you, right in the beginning of the movie, a shot of her, like, dress dropping to the ground, and she's completely nude. I think maybe only from the back? Um, and then he, it, you know, and that's supposed to be like the here, like I gave you what you want. Can I please go on with my movie now? <laughs> um, and I, I felt like maybe it, it mirrored that a little bit where it was just like, all right, it's vampire used to vampires being sexy. There's not a lot of things being sexy in this movie. It's really all about, um, it's about, you know, it's about romance, I guess. It's about like an emotional intimacy, not not a physical one. And here's, you know, there you go, whatever. Can we get it back on to like why this, why there actually is intimacy in this movie? Yeah, maybe so. I, I could read that as, as, as part of the thinking with that shot. I could also see it as just like being literally sort of trying to further establish her specific sort of casualness. I mean, it's, it's, it's a weird thing because when you've got a shot of someone alone taking a bath, there's not any implied awareness of them of that character of a viewer, uh, and and so when you shoot it in a way that also doesn't take an exploitative tack, implying some sort of you know sort of viewer as camera character, then like it's it's just a non-issue. So so to some extent, it's not telling you anything about that character's attitude towards nudity and you know nakedness around other people because they don't have any awareness of other people around. So, but at the same time, it, by presenting it in a really flat way. It sort of generates it as them not, not sort of figuratively playing into the idea of the sexualization of that casual nudity. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I, uh, you, I you mean, may the, be on the something scene there. Reveals her breasts. Like that is the point. Like underwater, you you can't really see them very well. And she stops. She stops. She doesn't like get out of the bathtub completely. She just sort of like slowly raises, and I get it's it's in a lot of ways just like an allusion to like the whole Dracula rising weirdly out of his coffin. Like he doesn't get out of it like a regular bed. He he sort of rises out of it, and it, it felt a little bit like that. Where instead of a coffin, she's got a bathtub full of water instead of yeah. you know, uh, vampire soil. There's also um, the 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 little bit of touch of a uh, you know playing with the idea of uh, breath or not too. Like is she in? Is that you know an aspect yeah. of her supernatural uh, situation? Does she actually need to breathe, for example, or had she been down there for you know five minutes, a half an hour? I, I think it's also sort of like a a and it, it solidifies the change between uh, or like you know a shift like between like the the gazey uh, sh- the gazey feel of this movie is directed almost entirely. Um, at Arash. He is always shot as in, like, hey, look at this sexy fucking dude. Like, from, like, the very first scene where he is, you know, like, he's, you know, the tight jeans, the tight t-shirt, and he's always, like, if any scene where he's, like, trying to be sort of, like, cool-looking, he's shot as very cool-looking. Um, and, you know, when he's, like, wandering around in, like, the vampire stuff, he looks goofy, but he's cute. And, but, you know, for her, she, like, the camera always treats her as incredibly severe. Yeah. Um, like, border, I'd say borderline androgynous, but she's got makeup. But then there is a character in this movie who is, and I'm totally lost. I think it is a, 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 a trans woman, but I can't tell. Yeah, it's totally, it's totally unclear it, to me what the intention it is, is supposed to be. It is be. a, bi- the, the person is a biological male, um, wearing a very stylized kind of makeup like maybe it's like a very old style of makeup there maybe it's just like a very stylized kind of makeup and women's clothes but not entirely but definitely very sort of like flowery clothing 
Um, I don't know. I don't know how I got on that, but that was also a very interesting character. And then there is like the I think like the gummo est like the most like you know arty film moment of this movie is when that person like dances with a with like a fan like a fancy helium balloon just like cut to that for no reason that I can tell and then just cut to something else. Yeah. Um, that was very like if it, if you watch gummo like the entire movie is just shit like that. Um, and it was, I, it, it, it looked amazing. I, I don't know why it was in there, but I feel like that's me. Like, just not putting something together. But yeah. Yeah, yeah um, no, it, it's interesting. Her her severity, I mean, that she, she maximizes the, talking about the visual contrast, uh, the girl with her choice of clothing, with her white and black shirt, with her black cape, with her dark eye makeup and dark lipstick. Oh, the scenes with putting on makeup, I... I missed this when I was watching the movie, but you see her, like, sit down. Like, she's dancing a little bit. This is the first time you see her in her own house. And you see her dancing a little bit, and you see her put down, and she gets some makeup on, and she's just, like, sitting on the bed, puts the makeup on. And I was just like, that's a little odd. And then I was, like, reading up on this movie, and then somebody's just like, well, she's a vampire. She can't use a mirror to put on makeup. And I was just like, oh! Because it looked so strange to watch somebody put on um, makeup but clearly not look at herself doing it. Like, her eyes were just, you know, staring away, and she was doing it, and it was very much implied that she was doing it expertly. Yeah. And when you see her in the next scene, uh, and she is wearing the makeup, it is, it is done very well. It is, you know, there's no... It's movie makeup, there are no flaws. Um, You were saying, though, I think... Oh, just that... that, that I, I thought it was interesting how she sort of in those choices very explicitly maximize that sort of contrast between light and dark in her own character present- presentation. Uh, which, again, I, I, I guess I've got a hobby horsey idea that I think... I, I, I like I like the angle on her as maybe struggling with an internalization of the idea of a black and white morality, and that's why she's essentially in this uh, semi-vigilante position where it seems like she does a bit prowl the night looking for wrongdoing or wrongdoers as a potential target for satisfaction of her vampirely needs and so the idea that she's she's dressing uh she's dressing herself she, she's not so much batmanning it with literally dressing herself up in black uh as, as she is dressing herself up in black and white dressing herself in that context in that 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 contrast which so you know and um the 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 thing that she's wearing the uh, is shador right is that what it's called i don't know uh, yeah, Shador. It's it's funny that you know, like it, the way that you know, at least we understand it in the West about like you know the whole like it's like it's an imposition of an idea of modesty. Um, and it's you know it's 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 sort of like a symbol of like the the control of women by men in that society. And on her, it is just this item that she chooses to wear whenever she wants, and it inspire it you know it makes people afraid of her like part of like why you know part of like the the scariness of her or like you know the the shock of seeing her and you know Saeed is you know he sees her in the rearview mirror and it's you know it's like this you know it, it's it's I mean on the one hand it's a woman in a shador and you know they're in Iran and that's can't they can't be that infrequent of an occurrence but no but he's scared like when he sees her and then, you know, often other times, you know, it's, it's very much used as, like, this, you know, like, uh, vampire cape sort of thing. And so it kind of reverses what we think of that article of clothing. It turns into, like, you know, a, from, like, her 
it turns it from something that we could read as like oppression resting on her into a you know her weapon um, against you know the kind of things that she does hunt, which often is you know men treating women poorly. Yeah. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Uh, do you have anything else specifically? I think I think I've hit all my points. Yeah, I think point. I've I've more or less. I mean, I, I there was a couple of um, there was just uh, I think I went through all the movie references I caught. There's got to be more though. This it's it's a very like it's very much a movie made by a person that grew up on movies made by people who grew up on movies like Tarantino yeah. and David Lynch and yeah. There's a lot of really obvious love of cinema in this. You know, it's not a movie that they just got a camera so they could shoot actors saying lines. It's yeah. it's a very visual movie, very effectively so. So I, I, I would not be surprised if there were a bunch more, like you say. Yeah. Uh, the soundtrack is is amazing. I'm going to go get it. Uh, it's fortunately like available, and it is just a lot of um, you know really hip contemporary like electronic music. So it sounds like it's yeah. Well, not maybe not even the '80s, but like there's like stuff on it that sounds like a tallow disco and. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's a really really wonderful soundtrack. Um, the director actually like in the, in the interview that I read was just like somebody would mention just like so you you really like good music, huh? <laughs> um, and she was just like yeah, there's there's a lot more to the soundtrack. But then I realized you can't just have music playing on a screen for three hours as your movie. Um, yeah, uh, that's it's a good movie. Yeah, is what it very, was. It was a darn good, good movie. movie. I'm really glad we watched this. It's on Netflix. Please go watch it. Um, if somehow you tuned into this podcast before <laughs> we told you to stop this podcast and go watch it, forget this podcast, go watch it, and then listen to it again. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> well, yes. Okay, why don't we wrap it up then? Uh, we've yeah. got. Uh, we'll have to figure out what we're going to do in a in a couple weeks. Couple we'll weeks, put yeah. that up. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, we'll 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 do the standard stuff. But uh, I, I feel like at this point, yeah, people yeah. probably know the deal. If you're interested in the show, go do the things where you look at the places where we talk about the show. Yeah, there's a Tumblr, Facebook group. That's where most of the action is, I'd say. Uh, Twitter, that is where less <laughs> least of the action is, I guess. Uh, and then you know, uh, Tumblr and uh, iTunes are sort of in between that. But these are all places where you can. Go and do something that involves this podcast yeah. or read something that involves this podcast. You are welcome to uh, tweet at us or holler at us or, or, or so on, wherever makes sense for you. Yep. And uh, if you don't want to listen to the podcast anymore, I do suggest you leave us a Facebook message. Yes, absolutely. One, one, uh, one person has told us that, and while it's okay if they want to stop listening, it's okay if they decide they do keep listening. Uh, it, it, we it, did appreciate you leaving us a message yes. telling us that you are no longer going to be listening to this podcast. It's nice to have, it's makes nice, me feel like a success. It's nice to have closure, is all. Yeah, you know? it's if we've alienated at least one person, you know, I think <laughs> then we're it wasn't all a waste, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we'll talk to y'all in a couple of weeks. Yep. Good talking to you, sir. Absolutely. Godspeed. Indeed. Indeed.